Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to B Talks, Bearing Point Talks. We have today a very snowing day in Bucharest. We will speak about threat hunting, buzzword or necessity, with our guests. Sean Curran is a senior director leading Westmoro Partners Cyber Security Consulting Practice. A global leader in cybersecurity, Sean has assisted organizations across most industry sectors to reduce their likelihood of a breach and meet their cybersecurity business objective. A lot to read about Sean. Over the past 20 years, this is why we have a lot. Sean has led various cybersecurity infrastructure consulting engagements, including bridge investigations with corporate and government agencies, pen tests, security and IT strategy, and roadmap development, compliance assessments and remediation, as well as security tool operationalization. He has experience designing secure networks, applications, and corporate environments, as well as helping clients adhere to industry and government compliance frameworks, including PSA-DSS, HIPAA, GDPR, and ISO 27K. At Westmont Roshon leads the pre-transaction cybersecurity and infrastructure due diligence, carve-out, and integration analysis team, which includes IT operational, organizational governance analysis, software as a service product, and infrastructure analysis, as well as market and product analysis of cybersecurity tools and organization. Welcome, Sean. Thanks very much for having me. Rich, our second guest is a senior principal in Westmore Partners Technology Practice, specializing in cybersecurity. He has more than 15 years of executive leadership, strategy, sales, and business development experience, ranging from large global corporations to startup companies. An accomplished advisor and entrepreneur, Rich Skinner has been at the leading edge of innovation his entire career. He brings a unique blend of experience in cybersecurity, analytics, big data, Internet of Things, market intelligence, digital marketing, software as a service, and cloud computing to clients using technology to drive growth and market advantage. Rich serves on the executive committee for the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force and is a regular speaker at industry conferences. Rich joined West Monroe, actually in 2018. Correct. After serving as an executive advisor and consultant to high-tech and innovative companies on cybersecurity risk management, physical security, and other strategic issues. His prior experience includes IBM, where he was responsible for worldwide mainframe risk and security strategies and solutions, as well as a variety of roles with Anston Young, State Farm, Caterpillar, CNA Insurance, and two startup security and risk management companies. Welcome, Rich. Thank you. Happy to be here. Okay, let me allow to take some year after these descriptions. So everybody now speaks about threat hunting. And I imagine myself, for example, in the past, if we were speaking about this, the management, we were going home and we could see our window broken. And that is incident management. So you enter your house and you try to find out what happened, why your window is broken or your door is broken. Now with threat hunting, I think we go home, we open the door, nothing is outside that indicates a compromise, and we start to look under the table, behind the door, just in case we are compromised already. So my question is, threat hunting is just a new buzzword or is real, Sean? Yeah, I think it's an evolution rather than a new buzzword. So it's the evolution of security. Many organizations have been relying on tools and techniques to alert them to risk. And as you say, the, the glass door broken or the window broken, 
tells me an intruder is already inside the house. With threat hunting, it's the recognition that we don't always have that visible you know, alert to, to something happening. And so we want to start looking for it. And I think it's just an evolution in the way in which we think about it. It also is a way in which we bring full circle on the tools and techniques that we put in place. The ability to take the security angle of what's happening in your environment and look for something new and then inform your security tools so that they're adjusted or better capable of finding it in the future. Okay, so imagine you go to your, I don't know, uh, customers like CXO, CEO, CIO, even CISO, and you try to explain to them what is this threat hunting services, uh, service. When they have already an incident, they will call you. That's for sure. They know what they need. But when you just want to promote the services of threat hunting, what do you tell them? What are the measurable benefits, outcomes of your threat hunting service? Yeah, good question. Good morning, afternoon, evening for those listening in. It's definitely snowing here in Bucharest. It's getting close yeah. to Christmas, so it's the whole ambiance is perfect to be over here. But I, I agree with Sean. It's, it's definitely an evolution of the cybersecurity industry itself. And I've heard certain strategists, certain industry leaders speak about it's not a matter of if someone's in your environment, it's a matter of when someone's going to be in there. And it's all about risk management. And if you can reduce the amount of time that someone's in your environment itself, you can then minimize the loss, minimize the damage that someone's going to do in your organization itself. So to those C-level leaders, if you talk about risk, if you talk about losing shareholder value, they're going to understand that language and understand that if you can minimize the impact, minimize the loss, that threat hunting will show value across the enterprise. So these uh, leaders now are somehow aware of the pen testing activity. So they might say, okay, and I remember that even last week I had uh, an assignment and somebody said, okay, did you do the pen test for our applications? No, I didn't do it. So people uh, think about pen testing like the way to find the vulnerabilities and to exploit those vulnerabilities. What are the intersection between pen testing and threat hunting and how can we explain it? Because there is an intersection. Absolutely. So you've got to look at it this way. If you think of pen testing as the, could someone break into my house? Well, once you know that they can, and once a pen test has been successful, what next? If a pen tester can break in, then what's to say someone hasn't already used the same technique to break into your environment and is dwelling within the environment looking for opportunities to either exfiltrate data or cause some kind of disruption. So the pen test proves that it can happen. Therefore, the threat hunt becomes almost the, I have to do it now, to tell me that there hasn't already been someone else using those same tools and techniques to break into my environment. So if you're doing a pen test and it's successful, it's a natural evolution that you think about doing the threat hunt to confirm that it hasn't been exploited. Okay. so. Now I imagine the security, the incident security management team. And I have a good friend, he said uh, sometimes that I'm a pen tester, I don't need to secure my, to know how to secure the environment because I'm just a hacker. Okay, yep. and he was right. Now SOC teams have some difficulties because they need to identify the root cause of uh, their events, the security incidents that may come from the CM uh, solution, for example. And SOC teams uh, have uh, difficulty in identifying the root cause of those events. Mm -hmm. Now, with threat hunting, I imagine that we need to find the root cause of something that didn't happen yet. Isn't this difficult for the SOC team? Yeah. 
I would look at it a different way. I don't know about it didn't happen yet. It's all about looking at what's outside normal business operating mode. So it's looking at what has changed, what's different, what has kind of affected the environment that, that's not normal overall. And when you look at a threat hunt itself, and don't just focus on outsiders getting in. You can also, also encourage individuals to look at insiders because there's a huge insider threat across organizations and a threat hunt can look across both sides of the fence, both internally and externally itself. Yeah, so, and, and to that, I think you've got to look at it in terms of the sim is a tool I put in place, hopefully, to allow me to know that something's occurred. The threat hunt is there to confirm that it's actually operating effectively. Okay, so do you use the, the CM tools, for example, for threat hunting, the events generated by CM? They might not contain a lot of devices in the infrastructure because they need to pay licenses for that. They don't have maybe the right size of the security team to analyze everything, even if the events are correlated or not. So you use those logs for the CM or even the CM solution? Whatever's available. If someone's got a SIM solution and they're taking all of the logs from all of their devices into that enterprise logging system, absolutely, it's the best source of truth. And it's also the most historical data that you're gonna get. But if it's not available, direct to the source, go to the devices. I think the important thing around threat hunting is recognizing that there is a lot of information that tells me how a breach occurred. All right, I'll go back to all the tools and techniques that exist. They're all looking for what we already know is a method to breach the environment. A threat hunt is about looking for what you don't know. It's the unknown unknowns. So think of it in terms of, I've got a incident, and you mentioned that a little earlier. I've got an incident. I know an attacker has done X. My tools have told me. What else has it done, right? And that's the thing is threat hunting is about identifying what else may have occurred. So you can use threat hunting in conjunction with incident response to try and identify the extent of the breach or the extent of the compromise. Yeah, I would agree. Threat hunting, it's hard to give a prescriptive description of how to threat hunt itself. You really have to understand the business and understand how the business operates and then look at the outliers outside of the business in order to see what's outside of the normal operating mode itself. So in this context, can this threat hunting be somehow fully automatic? It can never be fully automatic. Otherwise, it's just another tool. It's just another tool. So, yeah. so you still need some skills for the threat hunting teams, like, I don't know, pen testing, forensics. So which are the best skills for a threat hunt? <laughs> it's, it's a mix of both, actually. All right. I think the forensics and the breach investigation skills teach you how to look for things. All right. They teach you, and go back to your point you made, said earlier, the, the pen testers don't know how to fix the environment necessarily. They know how to break in. That's a methodology and you've got to think like an attacker. So when you're threat hunting, you're thinking about how would an attacker do this? What would they do next after they've done drop a tool onto the environment? Where would they go next? And so you're following some of those breadcrumbs. So you need to have a background in pen testing to know what methods the attackers could exploit or utilize. You need to have that knowledge of how things occur. And then the breach investigation side helps you to understand how best to find that information. There's certain ways in which we can investigate that pen testers don't even know exist. And so bridging that gap gives you the ability to think outside of the norm and, and start to identify different ways in which an attack can occur that your tools or techniques don't today have the capability of detecting. 
So you need uh, my understanding is that you need to understand the pen tester way, mm -hmm. like even the kill chain and so on. So in this context, platforms like Mitru does really help the Hunter team. It How does. Do you use it in your yeah, the MITRE attack. Yeah, absolutely. So that tells us some of the techniques that have been used in the past, and that helps to inform you as to what you may not have visibility into it. Maybe. Everyone today, as they invest in tools, have a limited budget. Nobody can afford to, to spend as much money in the tool side as they wish. And so you've got to recognize that leads gaps, mm -hmm. right? And understanding which of the, the MITRE attack framework methods that you're not able to detect today may be the source of where you start looking for your insider attacks or your, your external attacks as part of a threat hunt. And I imagine somebody that needs to identify something like a zero-day threat. It's mm -hmm. practically impossible if you don't have some threat interfeeds, but if it's a zero-day, actually, you don't have threat interfeeds. Correct. Can a threat hunter identify, with some luck maybe, or with some process, some zero-day uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I think they can. And, and going back to, you know, who's the ideal person to put in the threat hunting role, definitely pen testing, breach investigation helps. But going back to how the business operates, if you're looking for a zero day, you have to understand what's outside of the normal operation itself. So if you see something that, that doesn't look right, it doesn't smell right, definitely investigate it. In order to get that thought leadership or that really industry knowledge, you have to know business functions, business processes. Let's say you, you're a US-based company, but you have employees that are traveling across the world. All of a sudden, you have a login from, let's say, Romania, where, where we are today. Um, Hopefully you'll not remain this because of the snow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how, we, how we get stuck here. But. Yeah, but, but hopefully our security operations center is popping up and saying, hey, there's somebody logging in from Romania right now onto our internal email system. Actually, three of us, because three of us are over here. Yep. Hopefully you are in Bucharest, not in Rumniko Vrucha, which is the hackers' view. <laughs> <laughs> no, At least hopefully the uh, connections are not coming from there. Exactly. but. I mean, that's something we need to go back and check with our security operations team to say, hey, have you guys seen an alert here? Have you seen that someone else has logged in from across the world and accessing some of our sensitive information? The other thing I'll add to this is it's not dissimilar to fraud analysis that we see in the banking market. All right? If you think about credit card fraud, organizations have been years trying to find the intersection of a credit card data breach and they're using fraud analytics to determine that. Threat hunting uses some of those same concepts. What is normal? What is, and, and Rich said this best, what's baseline? What's baseline operations? If someone is connecting to a workstation as an administrator, is that normal or is it abnormal? Attackers today are using a lot more techniques that are not necessarily visible. So when people talk about zero day, they're typically talking about a piece of malware. What we're really looking for isn't just malware. We're looking for zero-day techniques, a technique that hasn't been used previously as a means of being able to compromise. So you know, if you go back four or five years ago before past the hash existed as a technique of elevating privileges, identifying a past the hash could be because suddenly your logs are filled up with new NTLM requests that you know, are different from everything else. So baseline authentication maybe on NTLM version two, and suddenly you're seeing NTLM version one connections. That would be something a threat hunter would, to, to Rich's point, determine as unusual. 
It's something outside of normal operations or behavior. And so that's how you can identify a zero day technique. So first of all, you need to be continuously updated with a new type of techniques that might be also published. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, creating a new domain controller in an infrastructure. You, you've seen a Black Hat session, on, I think, this year, yep. this presentation. The idea is that you still need something like end-user behavior analysis, I think. Uh, these solutions, UBA solutions, can somehow compensate the threat hunting process for people that cannot afford the hunting. I think you'll find the deployment of those tools and operationalization of those tools are going to cost a lot more than the threat hunt. By the time I pay for the licensing, by the time I put enough taps into the network to be able to identify all of that lateral communication between systems, it's going to cost me more than it's going to take to undertake a threat hunt. The difference is with those technologies, you're going to have a more proactive measure as opposed to, in some ways, while well, threat hunting is proactive in nature, it's still reactive in terms of the timeline that you can utilize. So, so I think those tools are, are good and, and it's certainly helping to increase the visibility within an environment. But again, a good attacker utilizes normal business operations to compromise the environment. If I have your credentials and I've got the credentials for a domain admin, everything I do from that point on looks like any other behavior a domain admin would do. So behavioral analytics aren't necessarily gonna pick up on it because creating a new domain controller is an activity that a domain admin would do. Logging onto a server, right, using RDP is an activity a domain, a domain admin would do. So the question is, do you have enough information to be able to identify that that domain admin wasn't doing that at the time? And without context, none of those tools can truly identify the unusual behavior. Yeah, and that goes back to your question about automated threat hunt. And I would say, I don't think you never automate a threat hunt itself. It goes back to the whole artificial intelligence. I mean, can machines take over the world? Can computers function like, you know, like normal humans? If you ask and, Elon Musk, they can. Yeah. <laughs> but the answer is no, because it comes down to business context itself. And that's really the differentiator, and that's really what makes the best threat hunting techniques is understanding that, that context itself. Yeah. And that context is not in the machine. And, and usually it's not your context. No. Because if you are not part of that organization. Correct. Well, a, a good threat hunter spends the time to learn the context. Yep. So what's normal, what's a important server versus an unimportant server? What's normal behavior for your domain admins? How do they typically operate? Do they work certain shifts or certain hours? You know, part of the role of the threat hunter isn't just to look at the digital world, the, the electronic world, it's to look at the physical as well. And that's something that no amount of machine learning and no tool or technology can truly augment or be augmented with is the physical. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, if you're a pen tester, your goal is to break in to, to this environment. You don't care about the business context, you're just trying to run through this wall. And yep. you're trying to break down the wall and let's try to get in as fast as we can. And I guess that's what differentiates really the threat hunting itself is kind of that whole business context you wrap around that. One question, so are there customers, you, you said about these domain admins, escalating privileges. There are organizations that now implement red forest structures, active directory, domains tiring, uh, where the domain admins don't have access to usual normal workstations uh, in order for the others to capture the, sorry, capture the hash. Mm -hmm. 
can uh, organization just implement a lot of defense in depth layers and be safe or they should be constant? I think the concept of defense in depth in and of itself helps to reduce the likelihood of the ability for an attacker to pivot once they've made contact. I think you can certainly put a lot of deterrence in that makes it unviable for an attacker to be successful, but it's not impossible. Go back to Rich's point before, the insider threat still exists. What if I pay someone to do that activity for me? What if I pay someone to open up that communications channel? There are multiple different ways and they're the things you can't necessarily identify with tools and techniques is the person who's been paid off. So I think, yes, I can put defense in depth in place, but it's not going to protect against every time an attack. So it really comes down to the business and understanding the risk profile of the organization, what the attackers would find to be valuable, whether that's the monetization of information, whether that's the monetization of availability, whether that's the monetization of, of resources, and then you know, recognizing that as much investment as I can put in place, the attackers will always find a way around that investment. And so how much money are you gonna spend? Yeah, right. how scale the security yeah. until some point that, yeah. If you're US Defense Forces, we're seeing even CIA, NSA hacks. We're seeing you know, Snowden being able to take data out of the environment. And some of the information coming back on that you know, involved him literally turning off his computer, pulling out the hard drive, and copying the data directly off the hard drive so that the operating system had no visibility. In fact, there was a really interesting component around understanding how those types of attacks were occurring to get around the tools that were in place to detect it. And so thinking about those, you, you can't just rely on the tools and you can't put enough investment in place. Even these super top secret environments you know, with endless budgets to protect their environments are, are still susceptible to attack and still susceptible to risk. And so if they don't have enough money, then the manufacturing company down the road definitely isn't going to be. Yep. Yeah, and I agree with Sean. I mean, just look across the industry itself. One of the industry standard, I would say, cybersecurity reports on data breaches itself is the Verizon data breach report. And they had some statistics in there that the average threat is inside environments for over months at, at a time. And I would probably argue six months plus, maybe years for some environments itself. And just knowing that that's going on across the industry and seeing all these uh, attacks and data exfiltration, I mean, threat hunting is definitely a proactive approach that's, that's needed across the industry. Financial services spends, according to you know, Gartner research, around 17% of their investment, of their IT budget on security. The next nearest industries are in the four to five percents. Right, so thinking about it from that standpoint, how much money is the cost benefit? At what point do I say I've invested enough for the type of risk I'm trying to mitigate? And that's the argument that most organizations come across. You've got to look at it, if, yeah, if I had all of the time in the world and all of the investment in the world and the perfect environment that never changes, I could probably secure it. But as soon as I introduce change, as soon as I introduce people, as soon as I introduce business processes and the need to get things done, the convenience of doing work, I'm going to break down security controls. And convenience is the number one reason security controls get broken. Yeah, and there are many controls with many weaknesses, so you can find a way. Yep. If you need more context about the organization, isn't better to have an internal 
threat hunting team, even if it's more expensive? We're starting to see certain organisations invest in it. So high-tech organisations that you would think about have absolutely built threat hunting teams. The challenge for most is how much am I going to spend threat hunting and how often am I going to keep them there? And do they become stagnant? How do they learn about new tools and techniques if all they're ever doing is threat hunting? And that's why we talk about it in the context of a threat hunter can't necessarily just be a threat hunter. That background in penetration testing, that background in forensic investigations provides the threat hunter more capabilities and more knowledge around where to look. And if I've built a team that's sole purpose in life is threat hunting, where are they developing that new information and that new knowledge? That's the challenge for most of them, is how do I remain relevant? Then I have the challenge of, it's expensive. And those resources are gonna get poached. If they're really that good, why wouldn't someone else try to invest in them? So you may spend a lot of money in investment as an organization building a threat hunter who themselves get bored and start looking for new opportunities. And someone's gonna come along and offer them more money. You know, looking at the industry and how it's really transforming, there's a term being thrown out as threat hunting as a service. Meaning it's not a one-time initiative, then you're done. It's more on, it's a continuous health check on the environment and a continuous way to look inside your environment and make sure that, you know, things are not out of place. So back to your comment on, you know, would inside teams be the best? I would say if you have unlimited budget, absolutely. But from Sean's comments, I mean, these guys are highly sought after, high skill sets, definitely expertise. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a challenge really to, to employ someone like that itself. So across the industry, threat hanging as a service, you come up with a baseline because you understand the business. And we encourage our threat hunting team and we actually enforce them to meet with the business leader, meet with certain business leaders and meet with folks who really know their environment so they can understand more of that context around, and around and the initiative. You're right that uh, I had in my team a pen test, a very, very good pen test many years before and he got bored because he was doing just web pen testing for our apps. Mm -hmm. Now he moves, he moved out and he has his own company and he's doing Pentest even for Tesla systems, okay, yep. because you need to improve and to be challenged all the time. It's, it's career equity. You've got to provide career equity and that's the challenge when you employ a team, is if the organization is employing a team to do one function, then where's the career equity for that individual? Where's their ability to grow and become more valuable? And that's honestly where people will start to fall in is a threat hunter is someone who wants challenges. I mean, we, we call it hunting. It's another term for this is compromise assessment. It's not sexy enough, right? We call it threat hunting because we're people that want to chat. We want to be challenged. We want to hunt for something. We've got that fire in our belly to look for something. And you can't do that with employees and keep that fire in their belly forever. I have extra questions for you. However, I think we should also take questions from the audience. I would start with people in the room. We have quite several people for this weather in the room. We have a microphone for this. Hello, thanks for the talk. My question would be because we are talking about threats and usually we thought we are thinking of external threats. But how would you go deeper into the internal threats like some persons, some networks and so on? So that would be the question because Usually the topic is on external threats, external hackers, external people. Okay, thanks. Yeah, threats irrespective of whether they're internal or external, really about motivation. External threats are easier to understand because there is a motivation. 
If I steal data, I can monetize that data. You know, depending on the organization. I could have cyber warfare you know, for organizations and government and, and the like. For an insider threat, it's quite often more about personal motivation. And so understanding the personal motivations of, of individuals is, is one part. The second is understanding what access they have and therefore what would allow them to monetize that. So it's always difficult to think negatively about employees. We employ them, we give them a certain amount of trust, we want to believe that our trust is being rewarded. And so that's why an external threat hunter can often take away that emotion part. Less emotion, think about it objectively and identify those. Whereas an internal team, that emotion still exists. It's the, I can't do that to a, first, a person or an individual. So it is difficult. It's always hard to find the inside of threat, but there is still footprints everywhere. And often those footprints are more obvious because those insiders are thinking about it from a personal side of things. It's, it's typically for financial gain because of something going wrong in their life. They're not thinking about how they clean up after themselves. They're not thinking about how they remove the fingerprints or the trace elements of what they're doing, unless they're really sophisticated. Yeah, and insiders, let's say employees or even contractors you, you bring in, I mean, these are some of your most important assets to your organization. I mean, these are folks that have the institutional knowledge really on how your organization works, and, and are able to function the business on a day-to-day -day environment. They're also your best intelligence source if something's going wrong, that they can say, hey, this doesn't look right. You know, something's out of place, there could be some threat in this environment, but on the flip side, like you said, this is also could be your biggest adversary or your biggest threat itself just because they know all that information and they can potentially cover up as many tracks as they think they can cover up themselves. They could work together with a team inside your environment so yeah, threat hunting should not be focused just externally. It should be across the organization, internally, externally, business partners, digital supply chain, who are your vendors. I mean, it should look across your complete environment. Are there any other questions? Bogdan here from the Bucharest Security Advisory Team. Can you share with us any successful story where a company prevented an um, adverse persistent threat through pen testing? Through pen testing or threat hunting? Uh, sorry, through pen threat hunting. Yeah, um, without going into company names, <coughs> a number of the, the major breaches that were announced in the US have actually become discovered as a result of a threat hunt. It's not because the attackers did anything wrong, it was a threat hunt identified the attack and began to, to work to turn it into an investigation. So. You know, some of the healthcare uh, insurance breaches of two or three years ago in the US were discovered as a result of threat hunting. It was a result of any other indicator to the environment. So there's plenty of success stories associated with a threat hunt, identifying a breach and being able to thwart, thwart that. I, I go back to Rich, what Rich said earlier is the dwell time or, or what we call the dwell time between when an attacker makes entry into the environment and when they finalize whatever attack it is, whether that's exfiltration of data, whether that's, you know, today we're the more increasingly the ransomware based attacks, it can be six, eight, 12 months. And so the earlier in that life cycle that you're detecting it, the most likely you're going to be to minimize the damages. If I detect a breach, and we've seen that with some of the others, if I, if I with some of the ones more recently, if I detect it in month three, and they're siphoning off credit card data, well, now they've got three months of data and not 12, right? So the 
earlier in that life cycle I can detect it is going to minimise the amount of damage that could have possibly been done before you found out in some other method. So there's definitely a lot of success stories. I can't go into company names because we're involved in supporting some of those companies, but we've definitely seen it. And, and we, we ourselves have, have been successful in minimising the impact of an attack as a result of threat hunts that we've identified in environments. I would, I agree with everything Sean said, and I would complement that with the best threat hunts are the ones we don't hear about, that we don't hear about on the news externally, because we actually found the attacker in the environment before they are able to create a breach or, or extract data itself. We prevent that, we stop that from happening itself. So think of this as you're going to the doctor as a checkup or uh, you know, on a continual basis, more of a proactive approach in that you want to find things early so you can minimize the damage and minimize the risk itself. What kind of people do you need in a threat hunting team? What areas of expertise do you cover? We typically augment our team with security professionals and IT professionals, application infrastructure related people. And the reason for that is you not only need to understand how the business operates, we talked about that before, uh, but you also need to understand how IT systems typically operate. You know, understanding how normal authentication authorization requests happen in Windows. Most pen testers don't necessarily understand that. You need to get insights into that, and that's where your Windows team can give you a better understanding, or your Linux team can give you a better understanding. So we will typically augment the team with infrastructure-related resources. If there is some kind of application environment that we think is valuable, we may augment it with application-related resources in addition to the security team. So it gives us a greater insight or greater capability of, of understanding what normal behavior is and what abnormal behavior might be. Yeah, and we, we look for individuals that are, have intimate knowledge of a certain environments that, that we're working with. By intimate knowledge, I mean if someone's running Office 365, we don't want to put someone on that environment that's never seen that before or that only knows Exchange itself because that's internal. We want someone that knows Office 365, that's set it up, that knows the configuration settings, that knows kind of how it's supposed to operate on a day-to-day -day basis. So every threat hunt, we try to pull from resources within our organization on folks that know that environment itself. Someone's running Salesforce. Okay, let's get someone from our Salesforce team to be involved in the environment to kind of know the normal transactions that take place there. We have also uh, an online question. Uh, I think it's quite aligned with uh, the others. How large is a threat hunting team usually? Yeah, it depends on the size of the environment, obviously, we're going into uh, the amount of time that we're given to do that. You know, our smallest threat hunts uh, are typically done pre-close on a uh, due diligence transaction, and they can be as short as a week. They're the very small ones, and the team will be typically three or four people. The larger ones could involve a team of 10 or 15 if we've got a fairly large environment. But ultimately, it really comes down to, you know, and, and Rich said this best, the intimacy component. You've got to have people who know how to communicate. You've got to have people who have a certain specialization or skill that they're bringing to the table. And, and so a good pen testing team is somewhere in the vicinity of three to, to seven people. Okay, quite large, can really. Be. And is this actually, uh, can be mixed with the incident management team and the SOC? Or how? It can, yeah. You can certainly draw on resources across the board. If someone's got that specialized knowledge, you know, Rich said it before, Office 365 is where we're seeing a lot of compromises more recently. And so we've been bringing our Office 365 team in to help us to do that. When we try to extract information out of both 
Office 365, it's now a lot of PowerShell. So I may bring a PowerShell developer to the table. Someone who can truly automate the effort that we're going to to identify a compromise. So it may be you know seven people, but it's not seven people full time. It may be, hey, I need someone to write me a couple of PowerShell scripts to pull certain information that I haven't had access to before. And that may be you know two or three days of work of, of getting the PowerShell scripts together. So there is a lot of fluid nature to the compromise team. Yeah, and, and looking at large organizations that have worldwide presence, you know, let's say we have an office here in Romania, office back home in Chicago, depends how in depth you want to go with your threat hunt itself. I mean, you could have your resources on site at the different office locations. You could look at your central data center facilities. You can look at your regional offices. You can look at your business partner offices themselves. So it's really how deep you want to go itself. And by completing or, or initializing your first threat hunt, you really understand that, let's, that landscape and really how big your attack surface can potentially be. It's quite possible you're taking a very small snapshot of the environment. You may be looking at one particular region and then looking at how I go to the other regions post that. It also depends on how distributed your IT team is. You know, as Rich said, if, if you've got IT teams in Romania that are responsible for you know, local office support, then you may have to have local office resources with the language skills to be able to ask the right questions. So if there are no more questions, I have just the last one for you. Okay. If we have to invest in a threat hunting team with seven people, I think the pressure from the management will be quite high because you mm -hmm. pay very skilled professionals and maintain those professionals. And I mean uh, not investing in external services, it's your own team. Yep. So KPIs will be important. Can you name one, the most important KPI, not all of them? Chargeability. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what your management will tell you every time. And, and we all work for the same industry, right? Chargeability is key. I go back to what we said before though, your threat hunting team of seven people isn't seven, necessarily seven threat hunters. And so keeping them busy, keeping them satisfied in their job, that career equity aspect, isn't necessarily about them doing threat hunting for all of their days. And you know, my PowerShell guys that may be involved in the, in the project may be doing work in 0365 environments next week for a different client in a different world, and I bring them in to one threat hunt every six months. So you can build a team of multi-talented people who aren't just threat hunting 24 by seven, right, or, or 365 days a year. That team and that fluid nature of it, of using specialized resources to augment the team will allow you to maintain that KPIs and, and to meet the, the normal business, ex acceptable business operating norms uh, of chargeability and, and financial viability of the resources. Yeah, it's an interesting question you bring up. I mean, it can be compared to insurance. Why do you buy insurance if you never have a loss? You know, why do you pay for health insurance if you never have to go to the emergency room? It's threat hunting, in my opinion, is going to become a normalcy, kind of across the enterprise, something that you must do in order to show your board of directors, to show your shareholders that, hey, we're actively looking for uh, potential threats w within our environment itself. Because at the end of the day, we're all about increasing shareholder value by reducing risk across the enterprise. And every board of director wants to know, have I been compromised? Should I be able to sleep at night? A pen test doesn't tell me that. A pen test tells me if it's possible. If it's possible, yes. Right? Yes. My tools and techniques and the amount of 
viruses we stopped last week doesn't tell me if it got further. It doesn't tell me what I don't know. Threat hunting has more of an opportunity to tell the board what you don't know. Agreed. Thank you. We are reaching our limit for this podcast in a matter of time only. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Rich, for your presence here. We've learned a lot of things today. Now, when I will enter my house, uh, you will look uh, under the table and uh, behind the doors, of course, because this is a new evolution in my uh, way of being secure at home. But also, I do recommend the others to implement threat hunting services or to grow their own teams if they can, if they have enough money for this type of services, to see what is after the break-in, not if they can break in. Correct. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the physical presence here and the online presence. The upcoming talks will be communicated on our website, bearingpoint.com talks. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Yep. Thank you. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.